Bruce, how would you describe Moonlighting the Podcast? The best. How about you, Agnes? You guys are great. In fact, you're better than great. You're great, great. How about you, Sybil? Oh, brother. Welcome to the show, Moonlighting fans. Whether you're a Moonlighting fan from way back when, or whether you are new to Moonlighting and you want to know what all the hype is about, you have come to the right place. Hi, I'm Grace. And I'm Shauna. And we're your hosts for the podcast that is all about Moonlighting. When we talk about Moonlighting, we're talking about the Emmy Award-winning 80s TV series starring Bruce Willis and Simple Shepherd. So if you're a fan of theirs, you're going to want to stay tuned as we review all 66 episodes. We hope you enjoy this journey with us because we are going to be watching the series episodes one by one and discussing them every week. Now this is going to take several years as you can imagine, so please join us because we are going to have so much fun along the way. We will also be releasing bonus episodes of interviews with creators, cast and crew to extend your listening experience. That's right, and we really want to include our Moonlighting fans in this project as much as possible. So write to us and let us know what your thoughts are, and even if you have some trivia to disclose. Our email address is fans at moonlightingthepodcast.com, and we will include you in our future episodes. So stay with us. Shauna and I are beyond excited to finally bring Moonlighting into the 21st century for some serious discussions. You up for it, Shauna? I sure am. Well, let's get started. Moonlighting fans, welcome to the show. Hi, Shauna. Grace, how the hell are you? <laughs> how the hell are you? <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm doing pretty good. I'm, you know, I'm always happy after I watch an episode of Moonlighting. We're always in a good mood after we watch an episode. Yep, and I just finished watching episode two of season two, Lady in the Iron Mask. Synopsis of the episode. Maddie and David are hired by a mysterious woman in a veil to track down an ex-boyfriend who threw acid on her face many years ago in a fit of anger once he found out she was to marry another man. She claims she wants to give him another chance, but shortly after they find him, Maddie and David find out he has been murdered. They later discover that the person who actually hired them was an imposter and they now must find the real killer. This leads to a chaotic and hilarious chase scene in which everyone is wearing the same dress and veil. This episode was directed by Christopher Leach. It was written by Roger Director and it first aired on the 1st of October 1985. The guest stars are Judith Hansen as Barbara Wiley, special guest star Dennis Christopher as Benjamin Wiley, Joel Polis as Frank Harbert, and Angelica Torres as the little girl. So, Shauna, Would you like to begin with the first scene? Yes, the first scene just draws us right into the case. A person in the shower. The music is very suspenseful, very dramatic. And it's just showing what is soon to be known as the husband, right? The husband is the one shaving his legs and preparing himself to become the lady in the iron mask. So we see... The legs, shaving, we see the nails, we see different parts of the body, we assume it's a woman. But I believe, what do you think? I mean, this is um, Mr. Wiley 
preparing himself to dress as his wife, right? Wow. I never actually thought of it that way. I just thought it was a Mrs. Wiley. That's interesting. Hmm. So you think it's well, him getting dressed up as his wife? Well, yeah, because as the episode unfolds, you know, the whole thing is that he has dressed up as the wife and to pretend that he's her to lead everybody down this path that she wants to get back together with the guy who harmed her. But it's really him dressed as her the whole time wanting to kill the guy that harmed his wife because they can never be close because of what he did. So to me, the first scene is him preparing himself to dress as his wife to go into Blue Moon and get into his role. Interesting perspective. Hmm. Because why would we see Mrs. Wiley getting ready? Yeah, you're right. I I actually never thought of it. Here I am. I'm just assuming it's her. Interesting. Okay. Hmm. But Yeah, I don't know. If you think about it, it's, it's him preparing to dress as her because he has to go into Blue Moon and start this whole facade. That's how I'm looking at it. Hmm. We'll see what the fans yeah. think too. That's, that's a great yeah. um, observation because I've never actually thought about it, never yeah. went that deeply in thought about that scene. And one thing, another reason why that I think supports um, that view is that when the person is shaving, they've cut themselves and like maybe they're not used to shaving their legs because women, you know, have shaved their legs for a long time. Don't normally, you know, normally like cut yourself anymore. You know, like they, they did make a point to show that like blood was drawn, but I don't know. That's just me reading into it as well, you know, but yeah, anyway, yeah, just the music and everything is just so suspenseful. You know, it's really um, letting us know that something crazy is coming or something dramatic is about to happen. You know, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's a moonlighting version of the psycho music. In the yeah, shower. <laughs> yeah, with the shower and the blood. Yeah, it could be. It could be kind of a you know a little bit of a reference to Psycho. That's a good point too. You know, mm. the nails though. The nails always get me. They're just these like really fake, pointed. Don't even fit well on the on the nail bed. You know, those press on nails that the oh, this person right. has. Yep. Um, now my question also is: Does this lady, the lady? in the iron mask, the lady who was disfigured, does she wear the same outfit every day? Has she come up with a uniform for herself? Because it's this black dress with the purple bow and the, the mask over her face, you know, is this a uniform? Why, why is she wearing this outfit every day? I actually thought about that while I was writing notes down towards the end of the episode, when Maddie and David show up at the apartment in the same dress, how did they know she was going to be dressed the same way? <laughs> yeah. And she was dressed that same way throughout the entire show. You know? That's right. It's like she doesn't have another outfit. Yeah, exactly. That's what I was thinking. And then what do we have? A staple of moonlighting. Yes. So what I noticed here was we're only two minutes and 20 seconds in and we already see Maddie. Yeah. I found it to be a quick introduction, whereas sometimes it's a long introduction, like in Rather Can You Spare a Blonde. Obviously, they yeah. had to set up that whole thing. But with this yeah. one, we're straight into Maddie's feet in the elevator. That's true. Yes, we cut to that pretty quickly. Now, two episodes in a row, we've had the, her shoes in the elevator. So big stable of moonlighting happening here in these episodes in this season that we didn't see. We saw a little bit of, um, I think, of the pilot and things like that. But it didn't happen as much first season. Now, second season, we're really getting into like the things that happened over and over again. That's one of them. But anyway, she comes into Blue Moon and all hell is breaking loose, Grace. <laughs> it sure is 
But one thing I noticed when she walked in, she walked straight past Agnes without saying hello. It was convenient for her to do that because she's looking at the paper and she had to walk past the, the fight. Yeah. Um, I thought that was unusual that she'd just walk straight past her without saying good morning, Agnes. Yeah, she usually does say good morning, Agnes, or Agnes says morning, Miss Hayes, or something like that. But yeah, all hell's breaking loose in there. So she's looking at the paper and suddenly people are flying past her, punching each other. And what do they do? Do they knock over a big push cart of pastries? Yeah, I thought that was funny because I'm thinking since when do they have a cart of pastries in the office? Yeah, exactly. I just found it funny how a couple of the office workers are just standing there with a cup of coffee, just watching. But Mm -hmm. later on, you find out why. (laughs) Yes. So Lewis and Simmons are fighting. Agnes is kind of trying to shield Maddie from it or? Yes. So when Maddie says what's going on, it cuts to Agnes and she just stands there looking at her without answering because she doesn't want to say, well, actually, you know, David's acting as bookie. She doesn't want to tell Maddie that. She thinks I'm going to keep out of this conversation. Yeah, she definitely does not want Maddie to know. She knows Maddie will be very upset if she knows that this is a fight that people have money on that people have placed bets on in the office. I mean, come on. Yeah, and it's really good how Agnes Boyding knows what she's going to say. I'll be in Mr. Addison's office. They say it at the same time. Yes, she figures she's going to go right into David and talk to him about this nonsense. And Maddie, being Maddie, I guess, more naive, you know, is going into David's office thinking that he has no clue what's going on in the outer office. Like, David! There are people fighting out there. Yeah, do you know what a morale problem we've got? (laughs) (laughs) got a real morale problem out there. They're fighting. And he's like, you're kidding. I thought the the big fight would have solved that. (laughs) (laughs) And he's got his visor on and money in it. He's counting the money and he's taking all the bets. And, you know, but why isn't David out there watching the fight? Yeah, that that I don't get. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I guess they needed a quiet place for Maddie and David to uh, have their conversation. Yeah, I think it would have been maybe better if David was there watching the fight with them. I don't know. Kind of involved in the in the mayhem, you know. Yeah, and then they could have walked into his office together. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know why they kept. But I guess he had just taken the bets and the fight was going on. Maybe he was just uh, sorting out the financial part of it. So the conversation that Maddie and David have now is a real crux of moonlighting in the beginning, especially why have we employed all of these people? Why are we keeping these people on the payroll when we don't have cases and there isn't a cash flow coming in, but we're paying these people. Maddie wants to let them go and even says like, I think we'd be doing them a favor if we let them go because they're not doing anything. But David, no, he wants to keep them employed. Why? Because eventually we're going to need them. When we get a case, when things pick up, just hang in there, Maddie. It's coming, it's coming, it's coming. Yeah, well, he's the visionary of the partnership. He sees what's going to happen in the future. She doesn't see that. Yes, he just knows eventually, but this is a fight that they have over and over again. You know, why are we paying all these people? Why are we employing these people? Why do I have these people on the payroll? And he's like, don't you see, Maddie? But when he does things like this, when he orchestrates things like this in the office, you know, I guess he is trying to keep workers entertained and interested in what's going on there. It doesn't do him any favors with Maddie. That's for sure. And here's where he says, Great googly moogly, nobody told you about the big event? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's not really right, but I'll, I'll let you get a bet in. This isn't exactly kosher. I mean, the fight already started, but I'm going to let you get a bet down, kid. 
So yeah, you know, it's one of these scenes where she's upset and she's saying, um, the problem is, what, what does she say? Like, um, low self-esteem, you know, <laughs> I, I forget, I didn't write down everything that she was saying, but, and then he says like, oh, I didn't know that, you know, you felt like that or something, you know, I didn't know all those things, you know, were going on with you. And she's like, not with me, with them. You know? <laughs> that's right. So then she goes, yeah. yeah, that's right. One of the things she says is no sense of accomplishment. I remember that part. Yeah. And he puts his arm around her and she's, you know, he's going, oh, my God, I didn't realise. And she's, like, thinking they're talking about the same thing, which they're not, clearly not. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Have you thought about therapy? Feelings of worthlessness. Oh, my God. I had no idea. Have you considered therapy? <laughs> and then, lo and behold, a case walks in the door. Their first case, Really? Here we are, eight episodes in. Yes. Right? I mean, they've had some cases, I guess, but this is kind of the first one that like walks in the door. So the first client that walks in the door, it's funny anyway, Agnes buzzes them and she says, there's someone here to see you. <laughs> and they're both kind of shocked. You know? <laughs> I think she might be a client. I think it might be a client. Yeah. It's just like, what? So a client walks in the door and Maddie says, if she tries to leave, shoot her. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a line that is said again later, you know, in other episodes, by the way. Yes. So anyway, yeah, there's both like, what? A client? Oh my gosh. Like, you know, they don't even practically know what to do with themselves or how to act. And then the music starts again. Yeah. The Barbara Wiley music. And this strange woman comes to the door and Maddie and David's faces definitely show what's going on here you know who's this person why are they dressed like this maddie looks a little bit empathetic david looks a little bit skeptical as this person the woman i guess quote unquote right now they probably think it's a practical joke at the beginning yeah definitely skeptical and like wondering what's going on she begins to tell them her story maddie's face is just perfect her reaction to hearing this um, client's devastating story. Yes, that's what I put. It touches close to home for Maddie, and she even has tears in her eyes. Very empathetic, very sympathetic to this woman's situation. David is a bit skeptical, I think, at first, but he's, you know, he takes it seriously. His face is serious, you know, he's not making light of the situation. But yes, I think it touches really close to Maddie's, you know, being a model, she's probably had some strange people, and she did, she talks about a strange guy that she dated in college. So she probably, you know, it's probably a fear of something that could possibly happen to her. Um, initially, Maddie thinks it's revenge that Barbara wants to find him to, yeah. to cause some sort of harm to him. <laughs> you know what I can't get every time a client walks in, that they never have to say their fee. The client says, I'm willing to pay you $5,000 to find this man. <laughs> there's, there's never any discussion of fees. Oh, this is what we charge for this and this is what we charge for that. No, she's going That's to give true. him five thousand dollars. And in Tuera's human, he I think he said ten thousand or I don't know. And one guy even said twenty five thousand. It was like you know, oh. I wish I had clients like that. <laughs> and uh, I think in my fair David, um, she offers fifty thousand dollars or something like that. It's a big range, you know. Yeah, five thousand to fifty thousand, a hundred thousand, whatever. You know, you've just got these clients throwing money at them. I love it. Yeah, they offer big sums, five thousand dollars. To find them. And yes, like I think even the audience, us, the viewers, think it's going one way that find him so I can take revenge or something. But find him because I still 
love him and I, well, I want to be with him. So that's a twist we didn't see coming, which Moonlighting is good at that, you know, kind of like throwing a twist in there. Not a cookie cutter plot. Always a little bit unexpected. So she hands over a piece of paper to David, which I'm assuming has got his name and details. And then she hands over the photo to Maddie. And I don't know about you, but it just looks like one of those photos from a photo frame you buy. Yeah, what was with that photo? That Who is this woman? This looks very strange. <laughs> It's like from the 1920s or something. How far are we going back here, people? Yeah. Yes. Um, can I mention one thing before we move on to that? You can. Um, Barbara Wiley says, you probably want to know about the veil, I think she says. Yes. And Maddie and David, they do what they did uh, in uh, <laughs> The Next Murder You Hear, where she says no, and he says yes <laughs> at the same time, you know? <laughs> yep. I always like, you know, and then Maddie, unless it's germane to the case. Oh, and an important line here before Barbara Wiley leaves. She says, my husband's with me, so please be discreet. Like her husband doesn't know why she's there. Now, we never see the husband. And really later, this is where the plots get a little bit like convoluted. Really, this is the husband. This is the husband dressed as the wife. So she says, my husband's with me, please be discreet. But we never see him. That's never verified. So anyway, yeah, I think that's an important line to point out. One thing I'd like to mention about that is that the person in the room with them, forget about the character, the person that's actually in the room with them, I believe, is Judith Hanson, the actress. Okay. Because, yes, it's meant to be him, yes. Yeah. But the actual person in that room acting is Judith Hanson because she's got green eyes or blue, I think they're green, but if you look at Dennis Christopher, his eyes are brown. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> so that's how I can tell who's actually behind that veil. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. Good uh, observation, Grace. So, yes, I, but I, I agree with you. It's actually her, but later we're supposed to believe that it was him. Correct. So Barbara leaves and they begin to disagree about taking the case. What a surprise. And, of course, here's another staple of moonlighting, but David wants to take the case. Agnes, get me the address for the parole board. Mr. Peso, give me the address of the parole board. Right away. Cancel that. Right away. <laughs> and I love how she says it because it's like she just expected it. She knew it was going to happen right away. Yeah. Okay, right away. Agnes just, she anticipates everything with them. She's very in tune. That's why we love her. Yes. So Maddie doesn't want to put this man back in touch with Barbara, who ruined her life. Not to mention it will ruin a marriage as well. But, of course, he gets in his little in his little mode again, trying to talk her into using examples, as he always does. This yes. is the lifeline of a vibrant young company. This is exciting. This is inspiring. This is cow patty. <laughs> this is the lifeblood of a vibrant young company. This is exciting. This is inspiring. This is cow patties. Cow patties. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my God, I love it. You know, ours is not to reason why. And he gives examples yeah. of lawyers and doctors and teachers. You know, they're still going to do their job, even though they know yeah. that possibly the doctor's patients are going to die. The lawyers, they know that they're guilty of sin. They're still going to defend them, right? The teachers teach students who are dumb as stumps. Are we here to judge the motives of our every client? No, ours is not to reason why. Do lawyers not defend people they know are guilty of sin? Do doctors not treat patients they know are going to die? Do teachers not teach students they know are dumb as stumps? (laughs) (laughs) 
But, you know, as always, David makes good points. I mean, this is their job. They're being hired to do a job. You can't, ours is not to reason why. And he says that a lot. Yes. Ours is not to put a moral, our moral feelings, our moral compass on this. Yes. You know, ours is to do the job. Maddie's always got her emotions involved in it where she really needs to, you know, cut the cord there and go, right, this is a job. I'm going to do it. She always has her emotions in it. You're right. And that's why she always wants to give back the money, not take the case, you know, and all these other things. It's like Maddie, 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 Maddie. Yeah. He does a really good job of convincing her as usual. Oh, another line I wanted to point out. David mentions that he can't pay his rent. And a thought that came to me was when Maddie couldn't pay her mortgage in Brother Kenny's Fair Blonde, he was really sympathetic to that. But she doesn't seem as sympathetic to David not being able to pay his rent, you know? Brushes it aside. Yeah, it's not as important. It is always a little bit more about Maddie than David. But anyway, this is one of my favorite scenes, you know, when they, well, when they come out to the office and the office workers are gone. And where is everybody? Mr. Pesto, where is everybody? Lunch. Lunch? It's not even 10.15. Okay, then. Brunch? <laughs> I love how she says it. It's so good. And as they're having their discussion at Agnes's podium, yeah. she's just nodding her head. Yes, no, yes. She's just yeah. nodding with, you know, with what they're saying. Did you notice that? She just kept nodding. It's really cute, yeah, because David's convincing Maddie and Agnes is nodding her head. And then David says, once we get there, if you decide you don't want to take it, and Agnes starts shaking her head, no, yeah. I was watching Agnes. It's really cute. And just, you know, thinking of Maddie and David as a couple, how they're standing together, you know, what he says to her, how he's kind of loving. He has his arm around her, they're standing really close. He just uses this like tenderness to talk to her and soften her and like make her see things his way. And again, he says, we're a team, partners, now, forever. I know. Yes, exactly. And the first clump of dirt. See, and this is the first case file I'll put in my <laughs> when I go to the court of law about how Maddie and David we were promised that they were going to be together forever this line right here says that as viewers were always promised that Maddie and David now forever we're partners we're going to stay together and, and he's not just talking about business he's talking about life here this is what we have to do to get clients and keep the company alive you know he does tell her it's your decision but you know this is what we have to do He's got a great way of convincing her and making her think it was her decision to say yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what he's very good at. Like, it's a bit of manipulation, but he's right. They do need to at least just get started on it. And, it, and then if she decides she doesn't want to take it, fine. Yep. But he's got to get her at least going down the path. So Maddie agrees and David says to Agnes, call Barbara Wiley and tell her we're on the case. Now, Agnes starts dialing. How does she know the number already? I know. Does she have it memorized? Yeah, it was funny how, you know, she didn't go to it for a piece of paper and go, oh, where's the number? Because they only just got this client. (laughs) Yeah. And as they both walk out of the office, he does a Jackie Gleason reference. Did you notice that? Oh, does he? Him and Maddie both walk out of the office and he goes, baby, you're the greatest. Okay. And that's Jackie Gleason. Ah, okay. Honeymooners. Yes, the honeymooners. And not only that, they both walk out the wrong way again. Yes. I was going to say, where did they walk out to, Grace? (laughs) 
They walk out to the right. I mean, is there a secret elevator or a secret place to get out of that building from the other way? Because they never use an elevator from the other side. No. And after these few episodes, they never walk out that way again. So, no, I don't know why they do that. Because the elevator is to the left and then to the right. Mm. Not the right. The bathroom is to the right. <laughs> All right. So now they're back in the car on their way to the last known address of this Frank Harbour. Obviously, they've already inquired at the parole board. Yeah. So they're out in the outback and he tells the punchline of a joke. Oh, yeah, this joke. Yeah, but Maddie's very pensive about the whole thing. She doesn't understand. She goes, what's the why? Yeah. She says, um, I've had a Frank Harbert or two in my life. And she tells her story. Yes, and this is why she really relates to this case in a more emotional way. So she's really taking it back to when a boyfriend was, or whether it was a boyfriend or not, I don't know. But um, she went out with him a couple of times, but he kept... He was madly in love with her and sent her flowers and even broke into her room. He goes, let's be friends. You didn't say that, did you? You didn't say that. That's the worst. That's female for no kissy, no touchy, no horizontal. <laughs> How do they no pick horizontal. up this stuff? Seriously? <laughs> I think that's, that's a Glenn line, no horizontal. Come join our Facebook community at Fans of Moonlighting the Podcast and our Instagram community at Moonlighting the Podcast. She does mention he was an upperclassman. What does that mean? Upperclassman. So she was upperclassman as a junior or senior in college. So there's freshman, sophomore, junior, senior. So upperclassman would be a junior or senior. Oh, okay. So at first, David's kind of minimizing her story, making light. She says, uh, as a single red rose, no imagination or something like that. Like, yeah. He's kind of minimizing, making jokes. He's triggered, as we would say today. But yeah, he's kind of minimizing the guy and his effect on Maddie. But then he turns, you know, I don't know if he's like jealous or just doesn't want to hear about her with other guys, or maybe he sees that she's upset and doesn't want her to be. He's definitely kind of trying to make light. But then when he does see that she's upset, he becomes more sympathetic. Yes, I noticed that. He was uh, making light of it, but then his face expression changed that he seemed a little bit concerned because she was saying, well, that Frank Harbert took away Barbara Wiley's no and her boyfriend she had, he took away her no as well. And that's when he said, you know what, if you don't want to do this, let's not do it. So he had yeah. a little think about it. Yeah. And she said, no, no, I love going to Mars. <laughs> Besides, there's nobody I'd rather see die first than you. <laughs> He's like, I'm so touched. So touched, yeah. She's always got to get her little dig on David. Yeah, they both um, got to get their digging. Always, you know, they're like, love it or hate it, they're attached together. But yeah, I mean, it's a good point. These men weren't hearing no. And then they were doing what they wanted to do and kind of torturing these women. This guy's showing up in Maddie's room. That's pretty scary. And gosh, I mean, poor Barbara Wiley got acid thrown in her face. I mean, this is like, this is dark. It's mm. like a really dark topic, if you think about it. They get to the mission. And it's a good play on words again. Maddie says, maybe he found God in prison. And David says, oh, that's where the old boy's been hiding. <laughs> exactly. Now, this location, I want to say something about this location. Mm -hmm. This location is in Lancaster, California. And it's an hour and a half drive from the Fox studio lot where they normally filmed. So they went pretty far out that day. This is the Hybista Baptist Church. And it was also used in the Kill Bill movies, 
or a Kill Bill movie. And it was known as Two Pines Church in Kill Bill. So it's just this little tiny Baptist church way out in the middle of nowhere that they are using here as, I don't know if they mentioned what kind of church it was. Were they, was it a Catholic church in this? Yes, it is a Catholic church because Frank Harbert mentions it in his dialogue. Grace, you know how we do our own detective work on this show. <laughs> I was wondering where this location was and how I knew to search for this location was the little girl is sitting on a folding chair and on the back of the chair, it says high Vista something. And so I, I Googled high Vista, you know, whatever it said. And that's how I found the location of the church and found all the information on the church. So it's just funny, like the details that we see in this show, they hadn't used that chair and it didn't have the, the markings for that particular location. I wouldn't really know where this location was. It has a great look. It's just uh, they had to really travel to go on location that day. So I, I found that kind of interesting because they were always coming down to the wire and filming just seemed really tight. So to go all the way out there on location for this shot was kind of interesting to me. Yeah, I was really interested because it's in the middle of nowhere and I was wondering whether they just constructed this facade for them to walk into and didn't know whether the internal scenes were a real church or not. Yeah, if you Google the High Vista Baptist Church, you can see this location and it looks exactly like this today. It's still in the middle of nowhere, still just a standalone building, very kind of unique look. So yeah, it's a real location. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Yesterday when I was looking, doing some research, for some reason I came, I wasn't looking for this, but... It came up with all the addresses of the locations of this episode. Yeah. So it says here, where Maddie and David first meet Frank Harbert, East Avenue G at 198th Street East, Lancaster. As always, you're extremely informative, Shauna. Mm, thank you. It's actually a location that I wished I had driven out to when I was living in that area because that'd be fun to see. But it, it was kind of far out. Like I said, an hour and a half drive, I was like, just to see that. I never really got around to it, but yeah, anyway. Yeah. And that's a lot of time out of their schedule to get there. That's what I was thinking. That's what I mean. Like everything always seems so tight and then they drive an hour and a half out there one day. Mm, yeah. You know, so yeah, I would love to know more about that. Okay. So they walk in and um, the little girl makes maybe put a hanky on her head and they walk in and Frank Harbert is giving a tour asking for donations and that, and they sit down. <laughs> Of course, David's rude, like two bucks for that. <laughs> well, David's are, I think they're both already hating on this guy. And my other point is this guy got a job pretty fast just getting out of prison, huh? 
No, but he hasn't just got out of prison. Oh, he hasn't? No. And that was one of my trivia questions, which you've ruined now. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> yeah, so Maddie and David walk over to Frank because he says, oh, you Frank Harbour, and he keeps walking. I don't know why he kept walking, whether, I don't know what he yeah. thought, what was going through his head. But if you look on the ground, as David's walking towards him, there's clearly a marker on the ground where Bruce has to stand. Oh, really? <laughs> you look? I did not see What did you think of this scene? Because I I thought it was amazing. This actor, Joel Polis, I think it was great casting to get this guy to do this role because he did such a wonderful job in this scene. Yeah. Clearly has remorse for what he did and he still has feelings for this woman. However, he still says to them, no, tell her you didn't find me. I think they all played that scene exactly right. Maddie is upset. David is angry and Harbit is remorseful and teary. Yeah. And the music goes back to the Barbara Wiley music as well as he's telling the story. I love the acting this scene. I get a real feeling that like Maddie just wants to, she doesn't want to be there. She wants to get out of there. You know, David really gets angry at people like this. He can barely like contain his like hatred of this guy. So without them saying anything, just the emotions on their face, you could really feel what everybody's, how everybody was feeling in that scene. And, and I really like how she's, she's standing behind Bruce quite close. Yes, yes. And he's a bit protective. I agree with all yeah, of that. Because when you think about it, Maddie, if you think about what's going through her mind, it's possible she's thinking, should we be scared of this guy? Yeah, they don't know what to expect. Yeah, after what he did. And David may have... Uh, made light of it a bit before they got there, but now coming face to face with this guy, like you said, when, even when he walked in, he goes, two bucks for that. He doesn't like this guy. This guy's done something despicable and neither of them want to be there and neither of them like this person. Well, I was checking too, because there's a lot of close-ups of Bruce and you can see her hair in the background. And I was just wondering whether it was her or not, but it is clearly her because the hair is exactly the same. Okay. Yeah, I think that they, if they're going to go all the way out there, to film this on location, it's probably them. So they drive off and David asks Maddie, what's the verdict, Judge Wapner? You get that reference? So of course not. I did not get that reference, but I looked it up. So you obviously know who Judge Wapner is, but um, I've got here the first residing judge on the reality court show, The People's Court, Joseph Albert Wapner. From 1981 to 1993, he did 12 seasons 2,484 episodes. Yes, Judge Wapner was uh, the, like the original on television judge where you'd hear both sides of a case in the courtroom and then he would uh, make his judgment about it. So we used to watch this when I was growing up and my siblings and I would have a dispute. My dad would play Judge Wapner and then he would have us each tell our side of what happened and then he would make his judgment. So Very judge good. Wapner, I like it. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good way to solve a problem, right? So Judge Wapner was very much a part of our family household. So it's just funny, you know, Maddie's concerns about what if we get these two together and what if they fight? (laughs) Well, isn't that rich, Maddie? What if they fight? (laughs) What about you and David fighting all the time, huh? She's actually quite torn. What if they fight? What if this happens? Because then, then the marriage is ruined and, you know, there's all these things. So he yeah. says to her, well, do we tell her or, or, you know, do we cash the check? I know. Um, 
or tell her he's nowhere to be found and sleeps soundly but poorer. Poorer. But he also makes a good point. If they say, well, we couldn't find him, she'll probably just go to somebody else and hire someone else and they'll find him and they'll get the money, you know? So yeah, I can see why they're torn. Do we tell her where he is and like bring these two together? And then what if they get together and then what if something bad happens and it's our fault? Or do we just say, oh, we couldn't find them and make her stay with her husband? And it's a, a bit of a dilemma. Yeah. And that's why she's torn. She goes, this is where she says, you know, this is our first legitimate case. An actual yeah. client has approached them. We solve yes. it. But she says, I feel empty inside. And of course, he says a $5,000 check will fill you up. Yeah. <laughs> and you know what? Maddie's getting a taste of the real world. It's like, welcome to the real world, Maddie Hayes. And she's like, that's what it's all about, isn't it? You're detectives. You're here to make money. You're here to solve the case. I mean, again, like you said, don't get so emotionally involved, Maddie. Once he says that, she goes, you know, well, I guess that's what it's all about. And she goes, all right, pull over the first phone we see. We'll give her the good news. And I really like his mannerisms here. Good call partner. And he puts his arm on her. He's doing a good job of like leading her through this. He knows she's emotional about it, but this is like the reality of their work. So good call partner. Mm. Yeah. And I like calling each other partner here. Yeah. So when she says, this is our first legitimate case, I had to go back to previous episodes to make sure that was the case. So in the pilot, they accidentally got embroiled in all the dramas with the watch. Gunfight, David went and stole the client from Regency Investigations. Read the Mind, See the Movie, they accidentally got embroiled in that because it was her best friend that was causing all the mayhem. The next murder you hear, they pretty much stuck their nose in because that wasn't their case, but David wanted Maddie to come with him to the murder scene. I mean, nowadays I wouldn't even let you in, but anyway. Next Stop Murder, they accidentally got embroiled in that because they were on the train. The murders in the mail, they accidentally got involved in that when they decided to be debt collectors. And in Brother Can You Spare a Blonde, there was no case at all. It was just, well, I guess there was a small case, but it was just his brother coming to visit and bringing his problems with him. So she's absolutely correct when she says this is our first legitimate client. Yes, that's right. Yes, um, they've just kind of happened into all of the cases up until now. So, yep, the first legitimate client who walks through the door and hires them. Pretty exciting. Okay, so this next scene is very exciting because, oh, my God, they've been out to dinner, Shauna. I know. It's like they've been on a date together. It's very exciting. I agree. Now, they're on Hope Street. So did they go and visit Agnes? (laughs) Does Agnes live on Hope Street? Yes, she does. We find that out in a later episode. I like the way they introduce them because the scene begins with a couple walking towards you. Because they're so far away, you just assume it's them. But it's obviously, yeah, Maddie and David just come around the corner and trick us. I know. He's still talking about that joke. Yeah, why does he keep telling that stupid joke? And so the farmer says, but I ain't got no daughter. You're offended? That's a funny joke. A lot of people I respect, admire, think that's a funny joke. Leaders in the community, professional people. <laughs> what the hell? I wonder if that's a real joke or is that just a punchline, of, you know, just a silly punchline that someone came up with. And he says, well, you don't like that joke? People I admire like that joke, professionals or whatever. And then she says, a fireman is not a professional. What does that mean? Yeah, I thought that was a bit mean. <laughs> 
I suppose she meant they don't wear a suit. Yeah, I guess so. Maybe, you know, yeah. sometimes our firemen are volunteers and things like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, mm. I don't know. And that's kind of a dated uh, yeah. reference. I yeah, I think that is a dated reference. Yep. But she's happy. They're having a really nice conversation and they're, they're both in a really good mood, which you don't get a lot of scenes like that. And I was really happy to see this scene. We've solved our first case. We're liquid. You know, life is like a magazine cover. And she starts talking about the magazine cover. Um, yeah. And he's like, for those who are new to this country. <laughs> <laughs> like, explain, Maddie, not understanding what you're saying. So he's going through all the different magazine names, you know, Life, W.E. I like her titles that she says, More Than a Pretty Picture, Solves Case, Proud, Had a Nice Dinner. Oh, I know. Yeah, they really had, they had a nice night. They really had a nice night there. Just strolling down the street. And you're right, this is not a scene that we get often with them. And he complimented her too. And he said, yeah, I've heard of that, Mag. You can't get a copy of it. It's sold out. Yeah, like uh, she'd be so popular that she'd sell the magazine. Yeah, that's sweet. But of course, David being David, he has to check out one of the women, one of the women that are walking by. You can't have a scene with another woman in the scene without him looking at her. I know. He does it all the time. He's like focused on Maddie, but of course his eye, he has a wandering eye. That's David. He's a flirt. It's a great scene because she starts to own up to him about, I know it seems like I don't appreciate what you bring to the agency and I appreciate you being my partner and everything. But of course, as usual, (laughs) the writers put a spanner in the works and he stops and ignores what she's saying because he sees the news on the TVs in the window. Yeah. And uh, just one other line that before we get to the breaking news that she says to him, I know it seems like I say no more than I say yes. Professionally, that is. It's a very interesting line. I didn't pick that up. I didn't pick that up. That's good. So, yeah, she's kind of, she's musing and she's talking and she's complimenting David and she's on cloud nine and she's really happy they solved their first case and they've got money and they've had a nice evening. And then, like, you're right, Spanner in the works, Arbit is dead. Now, one thing I did notice, if you watch the footage on the TV screen, when that reporter is interviewing the gentleman, it's on a loop. So it's actually repeating itself. Yeah. And I really like when she first realises what's going on on the screen, there's a shot from the other side of the window and she's just moving her mouth and it's silent. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And all I can understand what she's saying is what's happening. We're not quite sure what she said before that, but that was a good shot. I like that too. I like the TVs in the windows. I like that they do the shot from the inside, from the inside, looking out. Yes. All very good. But then both their moods change completely. She gets really angry that Barbara has lied to them. She just wanted to kill him. She just couldn't believe that that's what's happened. And David's being the calming force. He's trying to calm her down. But when they get to Barbara's hotel room, he's not the calm one. Exactly. He is very pissed off. Very, very, very pissed off. Mm. I love angry David. Now, is it ever explained why they're in a hotel room? I was going to say, too, is this where they're living, in this hotel room? I think they're at the Ambassador Hotel, which is uh, the Ambassador Hotel that is used a lot in moonlighting. It's not open anymore. It was on Wilshire Boulevard. It may have even possibly been empty at this time, and that's why they could use it so much. Really? Yeah, I think... uh, 
I didn't look it up um, for this episode, but I've looked it up in the past. Um, when I lived there, like, oh, can I go visit the Ambassador Hotel? Because it was used a lot in moonlighting, but it's been demolished and there's something else there now. So it's not there at all anymore. But oh. I think what I read is um, it was, it had its heyday and then it kind of sat empty for a while. And I think moonlighting, you know, maybe people used it for a filming location and moonlighting used it quite a bit. Oh, okay. Because I've got here on the addresses, 3400 Wilshire Boulevard, Los Angeles. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So that's where it was in reality, but it's not there anymore. Is it still um, a hotel? No, no. I think it was uh, to- something totally different. Like you wouldn't even recognize that location anymore. I drove up up and down Wilshire all the time when I lived there. One of the main streets in LA. So I'm looking it up on Google. Okay. Yeah, I can't really tell. It's a building, but I don't know. Oh, it's completely demolished. Yeah. Yeah, I don't even know what this is. It might be a park now or something yeah, like that. Yeah, it looks like a park. Have you got one, yeah. the one with a white car parked at the front? Yes. Let me see. Wow. It- what the hell? It's completely different. Yeah. So it's been demolished it's not there anymore, but it was used quite a bit. And we'll point out other times that it was used in moonlighting. I was wondering if they had used this hotel for the food fight at the end of uh, season one. Oh. Yes, I I'll have to investigate that, yeah. So they get to Barbara's hotel room and her husband answers the door and it's interesting because he's got to make out that he doesn't know who they are. That's true. I mean, in real life, if you were actually doing this, you'd have to be careful not to say, oh, hi, Maddie and David. Yeah, definitely needs to, need to act like, who the hell are you and why are you here? Yeah, and David says, good morning. So obviously it's the next day. The interaction between the characters, it's a pretty hot scene, really, isn't it? A couple of things I noticed about this was the husband. He has a mustache, yes, but he has some delicate features and he's kind of a slight person. So you could almost imagine that he could dress as a woman. You know, if you only saw a little bit of his face, he kind of has like some very delicate features, you know, when dressed in a dress, he's kind of small. So you can almost believe it, I guess. So just wondering about casting. Did they look for someone that you'd believe like, when Bruce is wearing a dress, it's clearly a man. He has bigger features. Mm. Yeah, I did notice that later on in the episode where he's holding the gun. He does have nice hands and he's got the nails on and everything. So it is believable. He has small features. He's very thin. With the mask on, with just the eyes, he could pass for a woman. Yeah, exactly. So I love the scene when the guy opens up and you see like Maddie and David standing close together. It's like, I'm Madeline Hayes and this is my partner, David Addison, or however they, you know, I just love it when they, uh, it's very detective. And David is very heated and he kind of forces his way in. He's not taking no for an answer and he is going to confront Barbara Wiley because they are very upset that they've been put in this position that now a man is now murdered kind of because of their actions. They found this man. They were lied to. I guess that's probably why they're angry as well. They were lied to by Barbara Wiley when she came to the office. They convinced them that she was in love with him and wanted to get back together with him. In reality, the man's now dead and mm. they're blaming themselves for this. So they're angry. And Benjamin Wiley's really shocked too, because he really was not expecting them to turn up and follow up. I guess so. Yeah. I guess they just didn't think they would. I mean, but why wouldn't they, you know, I mean, mm. he knows that he lied. And then, so I guess when they push their way in and David's so upset and he's yelling at Mrs. Wiley, And she's acting like, why are they saying these things? She actually doesn't know, right? She's totally innocent in all this. Yeah, and she's very believable. And that's why Maddie, using her female intuition, she believed her. 
Because I'm sorry, but I, I I believe Barbara Wiley because she sounded totally surprised that we were there. And Maddie seems a bit taken aback at how upset David is. David's like, really, like, no matter how long it takes, we're going to get you. We're not going to stop until you're convicted of murder. And that's when and the music rises as well. They're back at the office and they walk straight past Agnes and she says, we're chumps and bunglers. And this is, a, you know, kind of a classic setup with moonlighting. She's racing ahead. He's following her. The chasing, in a way. But one thing I noticed with that scene is they storm in. They're walking fast towards her office. But then yeah. in the next scene, when they walk into the office, they're walking in slowly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When they're like filming inside. Yeah. But David thinks there might be a market for what they've done. Maybe there's a market for that. Blue moon. We find them, you kill them. We tag them, you bag them. We spot them, you drop them. That's, that's bad. That's so bad. <laughs> Not funny. You swing from a vine, Addison. Sounds like fun. Yeah, that's a kind of a classic moonlighting line, you know. Sounds like fun. One yeah. thing I really like about this scene is for some reason the lighting on Sybil yeah. is like she's looking through Venetian blinds when she says yeah. you swing from a vine. Yes, I think that's very much Jerry Fennerman lighting, you know, the old style like Hollywood leading lady lighting, 1920. Mm. That's classic Jerry Fennerman, how he really took his time lighting mm. the leading lady. And Sybil's really despondent. She's really upset about the whole situation. And um, she reminds him about what he said earlier about, oh, yeah, ours is not to reason why. What a team. Yeah. Ha. I'm calling the police. Yes. Oh, my gosh. She has to talk her off the ledge again. It's like, Maddie, he's like, don't call the police. You know, we don't have anything to tell them right now. We don't know exactly what happened. We don't have any proof. It was actually him or her. Um, I wanted to comment on Maddie's outfit, the white striped she wears that again. I can't remember now. Uh, we will see that outfit again, though. But I do like that outfit on her. And just also how beautiful do both of them look in this episode? Oh, they look terrific. You're mentioning the lighting in, in her office and just her hair, her makeup, the lighting, her outfit and everything. She's just like at the top of her gorgeous factor in these episodes. And him too, but I think he keeps getting better looking as they go on. But he's very handsome in this episode as well. Definitely at their peak. Yeah, they are. So she wants to call the police and he's joking around, yeah, sure, call the fuzz and all this sort of thing. But right at the end, he got serious. He goes, listen, Maddie, we have no proof that Barbara Wiley did this. Yeah. So he talks her out of it because, you know, you might get your license taken away or be laughed out of town. You'll never work in this town again. So, of course, again, with the questions, well, what do we do now? How do we proceed? And (laughs) this is where another Stooges reference (laughs) Don't worry, because she thinks she's got the two stooges licked. She's going to let up, make a mistake. We need to rattle her cage. Yes, Um, yes, yes. So there's a lot of banter up and back about getting evidence. The kind that stands up in court. The kind that stands up in court. The kind that sits down in jail. The kind that crosses its legs in a bar. And the kind that crosses its legs in a bar. And, of course, she repeats that. Yeah. I got, I've got millions of them. Uh, a moose walks into a dentist's office and says, doctor. You like that? I got a million of them. A moose walks into a dentist's office and says, doctor. And then he shuts the door. <laughs> <laughs> now we have the famous paper in the lobby scene. Oh, yeah. That, yeah, this is a great scene. Love it. The National Pit. Dr. Karen discovers antidote for stress. <laughs> Maddie's reading the Wall Street Journal. Yes, she's reading a respectable magazine. He's got um, one of these gossip rags and they're kind of talking about things that are really happening in the world, I guess. Jamie Lee Curtis, 
there was some rumor, you know, that she was not born a woman or something like that. So they're kind of referencing that and, you know, making light of it. I want to know. This is a line that I say to myself. You know how we have lines that stick in our minds? Once in a while, I'll say to myself, I want to know. About what? That, that scandal sheet. I love this scandal sheet. Is Jamie Lee Curtis a real girl or actually a Russian experiment created in a laboratory to incite the American male population? I want to know. I hear you. Have extraterrestrials left a secret message for Earthlings under Sylvester Stallone's left pectoral? I want to know. <laughs> oh, it's just hilarious. That's it for Lady in the Iron Mask Part 1. Tune in next week for Part 2. Well, until next time. I'm Grace. And I'm Shauna. Thank, Thank you, you for, for listening, listening to, to Moonlighting, Moonlighting the Podcast. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.